because for the first time I got to speak my story and let other people hear me. And that was powerful. Again, those childhood stories that I had never shared with another soul. And to see that received so well and to see women hear me and support me and affirm that what I experienced was real and that it was going to be okay just cracked me open. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and the decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Cassandra Wilder, a naturopathic doctor. Welcome, Cassandra. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you could be here. So you became a naturopathic doctor how long ago? I graduated three years ago. And do you have an emphasis? Is there an area that you like to focus on in your work? Yeah, so I specialized in women's health specifically. And so over the last few years, I've honed down even more to really be a specialist in a women's menstrual cycle and hormonal imbalance. What brought you to that particular area? Uh, Over the years in naturopathic school, I was really interested in a woman's cycle. And so when we would talk about the physiological components of a woman's cycle and the shifts that they experience, and of course, the abundance of health issues we see in women now associated with this, I was really intrigued. But then I also began to see an emotional component that was so deeply rooted as well, with a lot of women experiencing shame and having trauma from their childhoods, and how that would manifest into debilitating cycles or cysts or infertility. So I began to bridge these two worlds on my own just because I saw that almost always they were so intertwined. And from the medical perspective, we were only addressing the physiological side. And then, of course, the more spiritual stuff seemed like that was its own separate category. Um, And then this was all really personal for me because growing up, I'd had really debilitating cycles and, of course, had had my own experiences with childhood trauma. And so I began to realize how much of an issue this is for women and that it really is something that has to be addressed in order to be able to truly heal. Are you saying that the physical manifestation of pain is often or always connected to earlier pain and trauma? I would go so far to say is yes, that they are always connected. They're always connected. So were you seeing this in in patients that you worked with as well as literature or how did you first start to get the inkling that this was a connection? I hadn't seen any literature that connected the two. And so it was actually sitting down with my own clients and hearing their stories and beginning to piece together this entire person. In naturopathic medicine, we're really lucky because typically we get an entire hour with our clients rather than just Mm -hmm. five, 10 minutes. And so it gives us an opportunity to hear their story and to be able to understand this full perspective or this full spectrum of this human being in front of us. And I was just blown away how every single time I saw the same things over and over, debilitating cycles, can't get pregnant, whole host of different health problems. And then you would start to ask more of the emotional related questions and they would just start sobbing. What kind of questions would those be? You know, I would keep them really broad. Like, do you feel fulfilled in general in your life? Do you feel that it's easy for you to experience joy? 
Do you feel that you can love and appreciate your body, including your cycle? And just those questions were enough to really crack the exterior. So where we could start to see, well, actually, no, this was the really traumatic experience during my teenage years, or this was the experience I had with my mother. So it really, really became a profound realization for me. It is profound. It's Does it sort of speak to nurture being as important or more important than nature and what your body is designed to do? Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of that. You spoke a little bit about your own experience with trauma. Are you comfortable sharing any of that story? Yeah, of course. So um, I grew up in a small town in Utah and being very secluded and also more of the minority being more of the we were not part of the predominant religion, I guess would be the simple way to explain that. Mm-hmm. Um, it often felt like there wasn't really anyone else out there or you really didn't have other people to connect with. And so our family on this ranch became, I think, exceptionally secluded. And um, my father was very abusive. And so that really stemmed into a lot of my own negative thought patterns and limiting beliefs and Also, this chronic state of fear, always feeling like you don't know what kind of mood he's going to come home with every single day. And so you were locked into that fight or flight kind of response. And then interestingly, as it often happens, as I got older, I began to pick the same kind of men as my father. And so I continued to find abusive relationships. And even though if you were to ask me, do you want to be with someone that's unkind to you or hurts you? obviously be no I, I know I deserve better than that and yet I think it proves how when you think that you don't deserve something better on a subconscious level that is what you innately pick and so that's exactly the situation that I found myself in when I was 19 I jumped into a relationship I didn't know the person very well and within a few months it had grown so toxic and so abusive and again I was sitting there realizing you've done it again. Again, you've put yourself in this situation and now you feel trapped and now you feel like you have no way out. Mm -hmm. So um, there was one evening where it was especially bad. And so I did have to call the police and that opened up a whole other, a whole other can of worms, I guess you could say in that suddenly now there were police that wanted to hear the story and there were detectives and there were court hearings and people were very very critical of well if it was that bad then why did you stay in this and why didn't you get out sooner and why didn't you do something to stop it to where you almost started to question your own story and start to really wonder am I making this all up or maybe I'm not remembering this correctly because these are good questions but I really felt like I didn't have an out And so through the legal system, it truly became almost as painful as the abusive relationship to just be asked over and over and over again about something so intimate and heartbreaking, and then to have it on the table for everyone to scrutinize. But that was also the first time in my life that I felt like I now had a path forward. Did you recognize that close to the events happening or at some point afterward? It, I think, finally hit for me after I got a restraining order and I could finally feel safe to be in my own home or to walk down the street or to go to work. 
and to realize that now was my opportunity to move forward or to stop playing this victim or to stop doing whatever it was that I was doing that continued to put me in this pattern. And so that's when I started to seek out some other options or something that could help me. And for me, that was really diving into yoga. And that was the one place where I thought I'd be safe. Mm -hmm. When you were in the thick of the restraining order and whatever was going on between you and your ex-partner, did you have communication with the partner at that time? So to add more toxicity to the mix, we actually worked together. And so while we were going to court hearings and things like that, we were also still supposed to remain cordial at work. And of course, it was the hot topic of the entire um company where we worked and it was incredibly toxic and there was one distinct day when I could see that he was walking towards the office and I knew that he was going to come in and try and question me and tell me to remove the charges that were being uh, put on the table that were pending and so I hid in the closet because I didn't want him to talk to me and as he came in I could hear him on the other side of the door asking everyone have you seen Cassandra is she still in here and that was truly the moment when I realized that this had gone too far that this really was this was something that I didn't have the first idea on how to get myself out of when you think back to the person you were when this was going on and how many years ago do you think this was this was almost a decade ago almost a decade ago mm-hmm when you think back, you talk now about how um, you weren't seeing the pattern of falling for people who were similar to your father. When you look back now, do you see the signs that these partners exhibited that were similar to your father? Or do you still feel that you could easily be surprised by those features of their personality? Now, looking back, it seems pretty obvious. Um, but they, similar to my father, on the exterior were very kind and loving and really outgoing to where if you were someone from the outside, you would never think that these kinds of men existed. You would never put them in the box of they're abusive or they would hurt someone. Um, so I think it was a very naive part of me that every time would meet this person and think, well, I'm sure they're really a good person and I'm sure they would never actually do that. And so the entire time I'd be denying my intuition or my gut feeling that knew this was the exact same scenario that I'd seen dozens of times. Do you think that your, your gauge of people was inaccurate because of the way you grew up? Absolutely, yes. And are you also saying that people in your community, your small community, or even close family weren't aware of the way your father treated you and your family? Yeah, I think uh, this was one thing that he would actually say to us is, you know, you don't talk to other people about what happens at home. So he would kind of bait that from a very young age. And so it was amazing to me now looking back how I could have such good friends at school and I was, you know, a really good student and very close with a lot of my teachers and counselors. And yet I never said anything because I was so ingrained to believe that that's just something you don't tell people about. Were there good times with your father as well? There were, yeah. And the older I get, the more I can recognize that he is a human and that 
he came from a very traumatic, abusive background as well. And so you start to recognize the pattern in that he didn't know how to heal from his childhood. And so he repeated a lot of that. And that's given me a lot of inspiration to be the person that does end the pattern, that doesn't continue this this abusive tendency that seems to run in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have siblings? I do. I'm one of four girls. So was their experience similar to yours? Yeah, they were. And I'm the third of four. And I think in a lot of families, the oldest child gets the brunt of it because they're <laughs> the first one. And, the you first know, line. Yeah. Yep. The parents are still figuring it out at that point. So my oldest sister, I think, had it far worse than any of us did. But um, we all had our own version of the experience. And was your mother in the home? She was, yeah. And unfortunately, she was more so like us. She was just kind of at the whim of whatever mood he might be in that day. Yeah. So so with the healing that you've done in your your adult life, how has that affected the current status of your relationship with your your sisters, fellow abusees, I guess, and and your father and your mother now? It's been such a journey. My sisters and I, I think, came out of the experience all feeling extraordinarily close in that we weren't able to talk to anyone else. And so we all had that bonding experience that we knew what it was like. And that's really helped us all, I think, stay close, even though we've all taken on very, very different lives and career paths. Um, And then we all have our own healing experience with our parents. So there are some of us that have very little connection and some of us that really have tried to bridge that gap and recognize that forgiveness maybe is the best path forward. So um, especially over the last five years, my parents and I have had some really, really good healing moments and I can see that they recognize that things could have been better. But I think they're also of that age group or that um, decade where You don't apologize to your children, you know, or you don't really Mm -hmm. recognize your faults. So I I feel like we're at the best place that we can be, considering Mm -hmm. that we're bridging so many different generational gaps. But it does feel really good to be able to look at them and see them as human rather than parents that didn't do a very good job. Uh, So it sounds like they have let in some of the information you've shared with them about your point of view? A little bit, Yeah, it's my mom is more open, certainly. And I think my dad is still of the opinion that he did a really good job. And certainly he did in certain respects. Has he ever apologized then? No. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's part of this process is learning how to forgive, even if you don't get the the recognition that you probably deserve. Yeah. So your body during this time, um, this time of, you know, I guess injury and, and relationships that were harmful to you, what was your experience with your, your physical body at that point? There was a huge amount of shame that I carried and a lot of heaviness. And I had a lot of depressive episodes as a child, but again, didn't feel like I had anyone that I could talk to about that. Seemingly on the outside, everything was amazing. And I was, you know, very, very lucky to, 
you know, have two parents and to have a roof over my head. But I, especially in my early adolescence, had a lot of suicidal thoughts and felt very, very alone. And then when I started my menstrual cycle, that all compounded even more because now I suddenly felt like I had this burden and this shame and this guilt that I didn't even know how to address that seemed to just radiate from me. Was that was that um, approach to your body and your menstrual cycle and puberty something that you had picked up from somebody else in your family? You know, looking back, I think it was both the education in that I didn't really learn a lot about what was supposed to be happening with my body. And I think especially in small communities like in Utah, that's pretty common where it's more so taboo. So we just don't talk about it. And then also with my parents, I saw them think of it as a very gross, dirty, sinful kind of experience. And so I felt like from both angles, I wasn't getting anything that was affirming or encouraging in any way. And so that was all I knew was to resent it. Right. And did your friends at school offer any kind of support or were they in a similar boat? I think we were all in a very similar boat, especially being in rural Utah. Huh. Because I would imagine from what you said before that a lot of your classmates were in that predominant religion. They were, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so as you progressed into young adulthood, did you experience painful cycles? Yes, they definitely peaked around 19 or 20 as I was getting out of that relationship where that first day would definitely be laid up in bed, um, severe PMS, a lot of mood swings, and then again, those depressive episodes would come up. So it got to the point where it felt almost unbearable, and I had no idea what to do to regulate my cycle or to have any sense of of how to approach my body without just taking amidol or suppressing Mm -hmm. the symptoms in some way. And so it wasn't until I chose to quit the corporate job that I was at and leave to go and travel that I found my body started to regulate on its own. And a lot of those symptoms started to subside as I began to heal more of the emotional layer. Do you feel like you were actively paying attention to the emotional layer during those travels? Or do you feel that it's, it was a byproduct It was definitely both. I think just getting out of the rat race or the hustle and bustle of the Western world was what I needed. I think I felt so burnt out and so depleted. But then during those travels was also when I got to go to a women's circle for the very first time. And that was just a place to sit with women from all over the world that had shared in this experience of being a human. And as I heard women share their stories and what they had lived through and the traumas that they had overcome, it really made me realize in that moment that I had lived through quite a few things and that I'd never processed them. I had never addressed them. I'd never seen a therapist or done anything really to address the root cause of all of this emotional disarray. And so those circles were so intrinsic for my healing because for the first time I got to speak my story and let other people hear me. And that was powerful again, those childhood stories that I had never shared with another soul. And to see that received so well and to see women hear me and support me and affirm that what I experienced was real and that it was going to be okay, just cracked me open. Mm -hmm. How long, when you think about that time, do you think 
it might have taken you to believe that you didn't do anything wrong. Hmm. Oh, geez, a long time, years to finally recognize that I did the best that I could at the time. Right. Because sometimes in, when healing begins, it's a long time between the message being delivered to you from a safe source and actually accepting it. Yeah, so true. So true. So you spent time in these circles abroad. Is that right? You were traveling in, in other countries? Yeah, most of it was while I was in Guatemala. And how long did you stay there? I was in Guatemala about three months, and I didn't want to leave <laughs> at the end <laughs> of that because I was so invested in these circles. And it was almost like I was hooked in because I felt so good after every circle, after sharing a new piece of the story or a new layer and letting all of the emotion come up and then letting it subside and feeling renewed and so much lighter. And so when your time was up there, did you return to the U.S.? I did. I came back to the um, United States and went to Michigan, where I was looking into getting my doctorate. Spent a few months there and then went on to Southeast Asia. And it was in Thailand where I led my own very first circle because I couldn't find any local circles and knew that I needed this experience again to feel supported by a community of women and also felt that there must be other women here that need this experience as well. Mm -hmm. And so is that a time when you made a decision about the path you were going to take? I did. It was very, very modest at that time. I didn't feel qualified to sit with other women. I didn't have any experience, obviously, in therapy or counseling or, or anything like that. I just knew that I wanted to create the container for women to come and share. And I rented a little yoga studio for like $2, of course, in <laughs> Thailand. And yeah, four women came and it was beautiful. And they really affirmed this, that you really should continue doing this and women really need this. And so when I came back to Michigan to start going to school, I put out a casual announcement that I'd be leading a circle in my living room. And I had 25 women come wow. that night. And so we were shoulder to shoulder around the entire exterior of the living room. And that was when I realized there is a massive need for this. And I need to step it up. And so did you do that during your time getting your doctorate? I did. I guess there were times where I felt like I was living a double life where it was like <laughs> the medical student by day and then this like women's circle leader by night. It was um, really funny, but I really played and, and danced with that, that fine line between the science and the spirituality and really wanted to bridge them because I really felt like there were so many similarities at their cores, and yet we think of them as polar opposite. Yeah. What is a woman's circle to someone who has never heard of this or done one? What would be what people would need to know to understand what happens? Hmm. Well, they can all be so different, but I think in general, they're just that loving space where there is no judgment and there is no competition. It's just a space to be heard, to be witnessed, and then for you to also witness and, and really see another woman share her experience. So sometimes there might be meditation, 
and there'll be some sort of discussion about what it is you've experienced and what you've learned from this. And the most amazing thing that comes from it is just realizing that you are not alone, that there are other women that have lived through the exact same things as you. And so many of us have carried these shameful stories feeling like it was only us, or we are the ones that are broken, or no one would ever understand our stories. When in reality, most women could probably resonate with what you're sharing and affirm you and give you both a sense of healing. Mm-hmm. The shame comes in. Why? Oh, I think there's so many reasons. <laughs> I think we have learned that it is shameful to be in our power as women, to know our bodies well, or to surround ourselves with other women. We've all become so compartmentalized and we've all learned that we must be so separate and that we must be quiet and that we must be normal and follow the status quo. And so anytime we start to break out of that, I think that's when this this old story of shame really creeps up on us. And I think for a lot of us, it's just some shameful story that we heard once as a child that's lurking beneath the surface. Would you say that most of the people who come to the circles have trauma on par with what you experienced? I did, yes. And an interesting thing happens often, I think, when you are leading a circle, you tend to innately attract women that have lived through similar experiences as you. So when I've taught other women how to lead women's circles in their own communities, they may have different backgrounds to me or maybe have lived through different experiences to me. And I find that they really attract women that have lived through those experiences. So it, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, I'm not sure words could even convey how that happens. Mm, but yeah, I definitely had a lot of women come to me that had abusive backgrounds or had lived through different um, disconnects or, or wounds from the masculine specifically. So you would say the majority of the experiences are with a masculine Um, energy or masculine type of relationship? A lot of them are, but there's also many women that have the feminine wound between them and their mother or from wounding from another, you know, woman just throughout their life that was catty or competitive or jealous. You know, you can think of like the cliche high school Mm -hmm. drama scene. That is enough for us to have this negative experience of women. And so, A lot of women, when they come to a women's circle, are are pretty scared or apprehensive because they are afraid that they're going to be judged or cast out or discriminated against. And so it's always a really beautiful moment to welcome women in like that and to rewrite the story on what it means to connect with another woman. The, The ground situation for a lot of women, do you think that that is attributable to the male gaze? You know, it could be. I think there's so many reasons why we disconnect. And so I think it even goes back further than that. It's it's like this disconnect that's just been embedded into our Western culture, especially for so many generations. It feels like it's an energy that tears down and doesn't support. Yeah, yeah, it, I agree. Yeah. So... What, what is your relationship like toward or with men now? 
That's a question that I get a lot. I love and respect men and the masculine in general, and I'm not quick to point fingers at them because men also didn't learn how to be strong, powerful men. And so often in circles or retreats or things that I lead, there are often one or two women that that really feel very wounded by men and have some strong statements about, you know, half of the population. And my call to anyone that's had those kinds of thoughts is to remember that just like how we didn't learn anything about our bodies, we didn't learn how to be strong, powerful women. We didn't learn any sort of tool to really learn who we are and how to embody that in a healthy way. Men did not either. And so this is why we're all kind of running around like these wounded human beings trying to just survive. And this is where the trauma and this is where these lineage patterns really come into play. So men are finding these support groups. There are men's circles and men's retreats. And just like how we as women are doing the work to try and change the norm and change our patterns, there are a lot of amazing men that are doing the same thing. I think that there is grace that w- that people can give to men because of not getting the support they needed. And I also think it can be a slippery slope for women who have been hurt by men because men in those cases have been the perpetrators. Right. It is. It's such a tender subject and... I really think that we to move forward in a way that's going to to really support all of us, we do have to come back to that loving, respectful, compassionate space and to see other people as humans that have faults just like we do. But then also to recognize our wounds and to really affirm our stories and to understand that our voices do matter. So like you said, it is that delicate balance. Yeah. So in terms of treating people and symptoms people might exhibit, women might exhibit. Can you talk a little bit about what kinds of uh, pain that women experience, especially in their menstrual cycle and reproductive, um, in reproductive cycle, I guess, that can be treated with your approach? Yes, so there's a few different layers to that. When I see women with debilitating cycles, usually what I'm seeing are super irregular cycles, heavy bleeding, um, clots, a lot of PMS, and then a lot of the other symptoms we tend to associate with menstruation, like the bloating or the headaches or the food cravings. So when I'm really seeing someone in front of me that exhibits a lot of symptoms, they don't feel good, And then I'm asking them these questions about empowerment, about joy, about fulfillment. Quickly, I'm seeing that there's a lot of correlation between the two. So it's my job now to address that both on a physical level, because obviously I want them to feel better as soon as possible. But then there's also that whole other emotional layer that seems to just be like (laughs) looming over the entire process because it's so key and we cannot forget to address that. So I might start with some herbal recommendations, um, things to get things moving on a physical perspective. But then from the emotional layer, what I want to understand is where did the shame come from? What was their experience like with their first cycle? What was their relationship like with their mother? Was their mother there to truly mother them and nurture them? Or was there a disconnect between the two of them? And then also, what was their experience like growing up as a woman? Was it shame-ridden? Was there a lot of guilt? Or did they feel like it was safe for them 
to be authentic in their femininity. And so between these two approaches, very quickly we start to condense down and find the key herbs that are going to regulate the physical side and then the emotional support and the, you could say, holistic counseling approach that's going to really bridge the two worlds. And how long for someone who's a willing and open participant in in this sort of healing journey, do you think it can take to start to feel better? To start to feel better, usually within a month, we can do some, some pretty good progress. But certainly that doesn't mean it will be completely fixed. I really like to work with women pretty consistently for at least three months to make sure that we can get every layer addressed. Um, and then depending on how severe the symptoms are, you know, it could be up to a year until they can really enjoy a menstrual cycle without, you know, being in bed. Mm-hmm. And does that help to sort of temper the shame or the emotional burden when the body starts to feel better? Yes, absolutely. And I think when women can see how we address the emotional layer and how that affects the physical layer, that gives them so much inspiration to keep going and to be willing to do the work. Because for a lot of us, that seems pretty out there (laughs) to think that, you know, our childhood story could have anything to do with a physical health problem, but they are so connected. And the sooner that I can make that apparent to a client, the sooner they'll be completely on board. Have you worked with people who really believed in what you were doing or wanted to work with you, but were really hard to engage in the emotional side of their story? Certainly. There have been a number of people like that. And some people will tell you straight off that, you know, I think what you do is amazing. You've come highly recommended. Um, I'll take any supplement or herb you give me, but I'm just really not interested in, you know, playing uh, this emotional game with you or, or, you know, talking about this kind of stuff because I don't think it's related. And certainly I do help them and address a lot of their symptoms with the physical stuff because if that's what they'll do, then that's what we can work with. But I do feel like there's always a gap in their healing journey because they're not willing or open to talk about some of those deeper layers. Mm-hmm. And do you have um, peers that work with men on similar in similar areas? Is there a frequent manifestation for men in, in, at all in this kind of area? That's a really good question. I've actually never been asked that. I don't know of any men doing similar work, um, but a very common thing that I do see is men becoming impotent, and that's happening at a younger and younger age for men, and that is a direct manifestation for them of the masculine wound and the shame and the guilt of being a man. And I can't tell you how often I see men in their late 20s, early 30s even, that are experiencing those kinds of issues. Wow. Do you, when you say the the shame and the burden of being a man, do you feel that that meaning in the current climate or because of what's happening to us culturally in the West right now, or because it's always been there and it's coming to the surface more? I think it's coming to the surface more. And I think a lot of really good men are seeing what some very unconscious men are doing to this world that are really hurting a lot of people and hurting, you know, the planet. And they take that burden on as their own. And they feel that that is, you know, this dirty part of themselves that they try to repress, rather than recognizing that they can 
take this this powerful masculine energy and be the change. So rather than being bombarded with the shame and the guilt of what many men are doing, they could uh, really funnel that in towards standing up and being the solution for other people. So when they don't do that, when they just live from the shame, that's usually one of the biggest obvious physical manifestations. So shame is sort of the the crux of all this uh, pain and shame. Would you say that that that's accurate? Yeah, I do. And that's where I've loved watching amazing leaders like Brene Brown, mm-hmm. who have just pioneered this entire conversation about shame. And she actually has a, a Netflix special, random enough, where she <laughs> talks for like an hour and a half just about shame and how she loves hearing people's experiences around it and reframing it with humor to teach people how to rewrite their subconscious. Yeah, and I think a lot of people haven't been aware of the importance of shame and how it figures into life. Mm -hmm. Symptoms of shame or maybe unexpressed shame, would that be the right term? Mm -hmm. What, What can people link unexpressed shame to in their life and their emotional life? So shame can manifest physically in a lot of ways. So we might see this as, again, that feeling of lack of fulfillment, or I think this is a feeling that will resonate with a lot of people where you feel like on the outside, you do have it all. You've got a great marriage, you've got a great job, your children are wonderful, and yet there's this feeling of emptiness within you. That's what I would categorize as that lack of fulfillment. Deep-rooted depression is another really common thing that we see. And then any sort of reproductive imbalance is a big thing because in the body, that is where both men and women hold shame. And so if there's shame being held in that part of the body, infertility is common, impotence is very, very common, the cycle irregularities the cysts, the cervical imbalances, those are all very, very closely knit in with the shame. And then pain in general, a lot of these seemingly like ghosts, or what do they call those, phantom pain kind of um, conditions like fibromyalgia and MS and Parkinson's, those are also starting to be correlated to shame and this emotional underlying factor because on a Western medical standpoint, We have no idea what's causing these kinds of conditions. And so we're starting to piece together that maybe there is a massive emotional component. Right. And and I guess in the work that you do, that would seem like an obvious an obvious feature. Right, right. But Western medicine's also (laughs) getting on board with that idea, which is exciting. Yeah. It's it's I was gonna ask you about the fertility because I wonder I thought about that when you were talking and then you you mentioned infertility as being can be related and connected to shame, unexpressed shame. And I was gonna ask that, but then I found myself wondering if I would sound too judgmental or like blaming the person who can't have the babies that they want, mm-hmm. you know, for that condition. And and how did how is that received in in your community or in the in the medical community yeah like you said it is such a delicate subject because we never want someone to feel like they are the reason that this health condition is manifest especially something like fertility and there's many different causes for that um 
But I think it's also really important to address that shame emotional component because especially if we had some sort of sexual trauma or abuse in our childhood or adolescence or even our early adulthood, that is enough to cause cervical imbalances. That is enough to cause a shift in how your estrogen and progesterone communicate in your body. And those things are essential to being able to, of course, carry a baby to full term. So it isn't a far-fetched statement to say that shame and fertility are a really, really important factor that needs to be addressed. And for people who may not have a women's circle near them, what kind of work can people who are having trouble conceiving or are having difficulty with their menstrual cycle, what kind of help can they seek that you recommend? Yes, well, addressing that emotional layer is key. So finding a really good therapist or some sort of mental health specialist, I'm certainly not saying a a women's circle is to the level of therapy, but that is a safe container for a lot of women to be able to speak their stories, to get things off of their chest, to change the norm of staying silent and repressing and holding everything within. So finding a safe container for you to share your story is essential. And then also being willing to do some of that work with yourself. Journaling is such a valuable tool that we often will do in a women's circle or a women's retreat, just so that we can get into that subconscious and ask ourselves some of those deeper questions like, is there anything that is affecting my life uh, today or now that happened decades ago? Is there anything that I'm willing to let go of? Is there any belief or pattern that I am ready to release from being my norm. Mm-hmm. And that would be also maybe coupled with a visit to a naturopath or would you recommend a medical doctor too? You know, I think it's whatever someone is comfortable with. So I do have many clients that have a Western doctor and then see me as well online. Um, Some people will just do one or the other. I think the main thing is to just ensure that you are supported. So whatever route calls to you is wonderful. And I want to ask, is there anything else you would like to uh, add to people who may find themselves in an abusive or destructive relationship about signs or anything that they can use to help bolster them so that they might be able to recognize that it's time to go? Mm. Yes, I saw a staggering statistic recently that on average, it takes a woman seven attempts to actually leave an abusive relationship. And that hit so hard to home for me. Mm -hmm. Because from the outside, you do think, well, if it was that bad, why didn't you just leave? Or, um, you know, it's always easy on the outside to, to say something like that. So that reminded me of, of how traumatic it can be when you're in it and you feel like you don't have a way to get out. So I think some really big signs that it is time to get out and that it's not safe for you to stay where you're at is, of course, any sort of physical or emotional abuse that needs to be documented and that should really be addressed. Uh, Gaslighting is a really big thing. So if you find yourself feeling like you're crazy, like they're rewiring your words or they're making you feel like it's actually your fault that they did something to you. That is extreme manipulation. Um, that is a massive sign to get out. And then, of course, also, if you feel like you have to hide your relationship or the truth of what's going on from people that love you and care about you, something isn't right. 
So if any of those things are going on, this is going to be your time to, again, find some sort of mental health specialist or someone that can walk through the fire with you and help you get out of that safely. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Cassandra, where where can I see more of your work? Where can listeners find resources from you? Yeah, so they can connect with me at goddessceremony.com. And we've got so many resources on that website. So we do a daily blog where we talk about all things to do with health and spirituality and healing and trauma. So that's a really nice daily resource. And then we also lead women's circles and sacred women's retreats for any woman that feels like she needs that opportunity to disconnect from normal world, normal reality, (laughs) the job and the families, and come back to herself and really have an intentional space to do some of this healing work. And then, of course, I do offer online consultations for women that want to do some of this deeper healing work and address the physical and the emotional layers. Thank you so much for for everything that you shared today. I have learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here with you. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more information on this episode, photos, community discussion, and other episodes, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.